psalm, but um, we are um, seeking God's direction on what psalms he wants us to look at. Psalm 25 is an acrostic psalm. It, um, <clears throat> in the Hebrew, every verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you say, well, la-di-da, that doesn't do me a whole lot of good. Um, <clears throat> but it was, it was kind of written <clears throat> as a school book lesson on how to live to please God and be blessed of him. And we could almost add how to please God and be blessed of him in the context of difficult trials. One of the things that as you get into the Word of God, you will come to value and appreciate is that the Word of God tells things the way it is. It doesn't gloss over things. Um, When it writes a biography about David, it tells David as he was, his good, his bad, and everything else. And the Word of God is very, very practical. Christianity is the most practical aspect of, of life because the Word of God applies to every aspect of our life. And Psalm 25 is a psalm that really teaches us Trusting in trouble and the same principles apply in good times. As I was thinking on this, you know, in the midst of trouble, we often are prone then to cry out to God. Sometimes the greatest tests that we have are when things are going well. It's easy for us to get self-dependent and self-sufficient and think, I can handle this on my own. But The psalm, this psalm of David, comes from a life, as you know of David's life, that he had a lot of trouble in his life. I mentioned the Word of God is very practical. Um, How many of you did not have trouble last year? Okay, raise your hands. How many of you are hoping for a year this next year, that you won't have trouble. You might be hoping for it, but the reality is you're going to have trouble. I mean, things break down, things fall apart, our body wears out. I mean, we live in a sin-cursed world, and there will be trouble. And you notice, we're going to begin, Lord willing, we'll look at and touch on each verse here. But I want you to look at verse 16 to begin with of Psalm 25. The psalmist writes, Turn yourself, O God, to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. Now, notice as we read these, some of the words that are used. He says, he's crying out for mercy. He says, I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Oh, bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they that hate me 
hate me with a cruel hatred. Notice the terms he uses here. He said, I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of mine heart, they're just multiplying. Bring me out of my distresses. I have affliction. I have pain. I have sin. I need your forgiveness for my sin. He said, I have enemies, not just one or two. The enemies of my heart are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. Now, David knew what trouble was. And he is penning, he is writing this psalm from a heart that knows what trouble is. And the reality is, there is much that we can learn from this. Because you and I have faced trouble. You may be facing troubled times right now in your life. And you will face trouble. Life is hard. And whenever difficult situations come into our life, whether it's a health need, a financial need, an interpersonal conflict, Um, a spiritual crisis that comes into our life, whatever it is, as with David, we should use it as a time to examine our own heart. And you're going to see that's what David did here. And it had a profound impact on his life. You know, no matter what the difficulty is, um, we ought to examine our hearts in the midst of trouble and say, okay, Lord, show me, was it something of my own sin that caused this? You know, sometimes it is our own sin that caused things. And so we first of all need to ask, okay, God, this trouble that is here, is it because of my own sin? Not every trouble that comes into your life is a result of your sin. Sometimes it's just the result of life. Trouble comes it's not specifically a result of sin, but it, we ought to ask that, first of all, so that God can, can examine us and, and show us. Then, then we need to ask, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? What are, you, what are you trying to perform in my life? What are you trying to develop in my life? You know, even if it's um, the flu or the crud that goes around, It ought to be a reminder to us, wow, I am very feeble and fragile. And you know what? It doesn't take much to take me down. It doesn't take much to take any of us down. And and all of these things can make us realize, you know what, God? I am dependent upon you. In the midst of trouble, we should use those to examine our heart And one of the main reasons God allows these things to come into our life is to get us to seek Him more fervently as we recognize a new way to be dependent upon Him. So, David is experiencing this trouble. Notice verse 1. His heart response. Unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Let them be ashamed. Let not them be ashamed who wait on you. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. 
David is saying in the midst of his in the midst of his trouble it's like he's lifting up his being and he says unto you o lord do i lift up my soul and he is having by by his saying that he is showing i am dependent upon you god there's a dependence it's an expressive figure of speech that represents a surrender and a submission to God. God, here is my soul, my innermost being, my mind, my will, my emotion, and I lift this before you, and God, I am dependent upon you, and it's like he's saying, here I am, Lord, completely surrendered unto you. Do we let, do we let trouble bring us to that point? That's the point that we ought to live. What else will you depend on? It's, it's David coming back and saying, God, I am, I'm setting everything on you, God. I am, I am dependent on you entirely. The breath that I breathe, the, the life that I live, everything is dependent upon him. Who else are you going to depend? Are you going to depend on self? I'll figure a way out of this. I'm, de- I'm determined. It- self will fail you. Others will fail you. Needless to say, the government will fail you. But he says, I lift up my soul unto you. And, and verses 1 through 3, it's a dependence upon God. <clears throat> and then you notice... And see what we're going through. We all have trouble, so how do we respond? First of all, we ought to depend on God. Then notice verse 4. <clears throat> notice his teachable spirit. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day long. Notice his teachable spirit. So in the midst of trouble, he said, God, unto you I lift up my soul. And God, I want you to teach me. Show me your paths, O Lord. Lead me in the right way. I want to know your will. I want to do your will. Teach me. God loves when he sees in his children a teachable spirit. That desire that I want you to instruct me. I want you to show me your ways. Teach me the steps that I ought to take. Is your life characterized by a teachable spirit before God? You know, every every teacher, every coach, every parent, every boss, every authority loves when someone they're responsible for has a teachable spirit. And so David is saying, God, I lift, I am totally dependent upon you, and God, I want you to teach me. And then in verse 6, he begins his appeal to God. So he's crying out to God, and now the appeal. He's, he said, I am dependent upon you, I want you to teach me. Notice his appeal. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from of old. 
First of all, he appeals to God's character. He says, God, remember who you are. You are a merciful God. Your loving kindness, you have always been that way. Look at verse 8, what he says. Good and upright is the Lord. He's appealing to God's character. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. Look at verse 10. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimony. So David's coming back and he's saying, I have, I have entrusted my being to God and I want you to teach me and God, your character, and he starts listening characteristics of his character. Your character is love and mercy and kindness. You know, one of the greatest things that will build your faith and my faith is when we focus on the character of God. Too often we focus on man, we focus on what God isn't doing. You come back and focus on the character of God, and David's appeal begins with an appeal to God's character. And then he appeals to God's mercy. Notice verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, (coughs) remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. He appeals to God's mercy. He says, God, don't deal with me according to the sins of my youth. Every one of us can pray that. Every one of us have things of our youth that we look back on. And what was he appealing to? According to your mercy. And then he appeals for humility. Verse 9, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. He's understanding the the reality. I'm in the midst of trouble, and God, I'm dependent on you, and and I want you to teach me, and I rejoice that this is your character, and, and God, that you will deal with me according to your mercy, and God... I am not coming to you with a proud arrogant. I I understand that you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble, and you teach the humble. And so, God, I am appealing, teach me humility, instill in my spirit a humble spirit. But his appeal is really wrapped up in verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Here is David in the midst of trouble, but the bottom line of what David's asking is, not get me out of this trouble, God, not why are you doing this? His his ultimate motive is, God, for your name's sake, lead me. It's not about me. It's about God. God... You do in my life what will glorify you. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. Deal with me according to your mercy. But for your namesake. And so he comes to God, his appeal. When he comes to God, he's not saying, what are people going to think about me? God, for your namesake, lead me. When you're in the midst of trouble, what's the motive of your prayer? So that's his appeal, verses 6 through 11. And then, 
We depend on God. We have a teachable spirit. We appeal to God. And then we walk in the fear of God. Notice verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those that fear him. He mentions in those three verses the fear of the Lord, the blessing of the fear of the Lord, that God is to be feared, that he is to be respected, he has all authority, he is to be feared, and he, he comes down and he says, in the midst of the trouble, God, I, I want to remember that I am to fear you and that your secret is with them that fear him. God has special things planned for every one of us that fear him. That, that walk in humility before him and, and understand that he is the authority and, and realize that he is the authority. So he says, in the midst of this, I, I depend entirely unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I depend entirely on you. I want you to, to know I have a teachable spirit. I make my appeal to you on your character and for your namesake. And I understand that in the midst of this, the one thing I need to remember is to fear you. And as I fear you, I will dwell in your blessing. I will dwell in your specific personalized care. And so then in verse 15, he says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he shall pluck my feet out of the net. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. I am trusting in God. Notice verse 20. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. For I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For I wait for you. He is trusting in God. And he says, I wait for you. The waiting is not, okay, God, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to do something. The waiting is more the attitude of a servant coming to wait upon the master. I am trusting you. I am as a servant. You tell me what to do, I will go and do it. I am waiting on you. I am dependent on you. He said, my eyes are on you. I am trusting you. And as waiting on you, I come to you, God, and you tell me what to do, I'll obey it. And evidence that we are trusting God is our obedience. We sing the song, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We're not trusting if we're not obeying. Knowledge isn't trusting God. Knowing about his principles isn't trusting God. And in the midst of trouble or in the midst of good times, it's, it's coming and it's understanding that I am here as a servant of yours, God, and I wait before you. I am ready for your instruction 
I fear you, I respect you, I depend on <coughs> on you, and God, I wait for you now. I trust you. When you tell me to do something, I trust you. Suppose today when you went home, Jesus Christ walked through the door of your house and came to you and said, Hello, my name is Jesus. I am the Son of God. And I came into the world to save sinners and give them complete happiness and everlasting life. By my death and resurrection, I have paid completely for your sin. And by my wisdom and knowledge, I can show you now how to make the right choices that will bring you the greatest life and the most abundant joy. And he looks you in the eye and he says, will you trust me? And suppose you said, well, I do want to be happy. I, I love the idea of all my sins forgiven because I certainly don't want to go to hell. But I've looked over some of the other directions you give for a good life. And honestly, I just don't agree with some of your ideas how I can be the happiest. So how about this, Jesus? I... Accept your forgiveness now, and I really appreciate it. I can't thank you enough for forgiving my sins, but I think I will go with my own ideas on how to live. What do you think Jesus would say to you if you you responded that way to him? Honestly, That's how most every one of us respond to Jesus. I'll trust you to take away my sin for the forgiveness of sin. Perhaps you're here today and you've never said, I will trust you to forgive my sin. He is still willing to forgive your sin. He came, as we mentioned, to pay the penalty completely for your sin. But trusting Christ is more than just receiving Jesus for the forgiveness of his sin. It's trusting that he knows what is best for my life. Think about it. He knows every detail about your life. He knows your blood pressure right now. He knows what your pulse rate is. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows every detail about you. And... He knows what's best for you, and in all of history, he has never made one mistake. And yet we struggle with trusting him. And David came back to the point in his life where he said, God, I put my trust in you. You know what we need today? 
we need as individuals to come back and say, God, I'm coming back to put my trust in you. Some of you may have a definite area where where God prompted you to go this way, and you said, no, I don't think that is what will bring me the most joy. I'm going this way. And you have a definite area that you need to, you know that you went a different way. To, to some others, today it's, you know what, I, I don't really have a definite thing that I went, but I've just been living my life my own way, doing my own thing, oh, kind of, you know, kind of obeying God because I kind of want to. But really, is there a trust in God that, God, I am trusting you. You tell me what to do and I will do it. So God prompts you to right then to pray for so-and-so. Oh, I don't know. That's not trusting God. Whatever it is. So see, what we need today as believers, we need to come back and say, God, I am coming back to trust you. As a servant waiting before you, I am here to trust you. That means, God, you tell me and I will do it. Or are you like the one that says, I want your forgiveness, but then let me live my life the way I want to live it? Perhaps you're here today and you say, I have never received Jesus Christ, trusted him to forgive my sins. That's the first step. You can't trust God in any other area until you trust him to take away your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. But I believe today every one of us have areas where we have not been trusting God. We've been trusting our own wisdom. We've been trusting our own manipulating things to get things our way. We have not been trusting God. We have not said, unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I trust in you. You speak to me and I will obey. Yea, let none that trust in you be ashamed. You won't be ashamed if you trust in God. Let them be ashamed who transgress without cause. Let them be ashamed who go apart from your way and don't trust in you. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads and close our eyes. And in just a moment, The piano is going to play the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey.